going to transition into our message this morning. Uh, if you if you uh, haven't been with us in in the last few weeks, we've been in the book of James, so we're going to do that. But I do want to pray before we get into that, just that that God would would speak through His Word to us this morning. Um, God, I, I pray that as we turn our attention to Your Word, that Lord, You would open our eyes, open our hearts, God, open our ears, so that we can hear what You have for us. Um, Lord, we thank you that uh, your word is pretty plain when we open it up, um, God, that it, it speaks right to us. And in, in this passage, we know that there's some pretty plain words for us to understand. And so we pray that you would help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, we've been walking through the book of James over the last few weeks. Um, the book of James, James uh, was written, it's the first book written in the Old Testament, it, or New Testament. Let me, let me get re rewired here. Uh, first book written in the New Testament. It was written to a really young church. The, the, the church, this is it's about a 10-year-old church. So full of energy, full of, of things going on, full of drama and all this stuff. And, and James is like the pastor of this church. And so he's speaking wisdom to this church. It's time to grow into maturity as Christians. And so he writes this book in the, in the major call of the book of James, which we'll really see uh, evident today, is to live intentionally. That our lives of faith aren't supposed to be compartmentalized. They aren't just supposed to be a piece of, of our lives. They're actually supposed to be the whole thing. Uh, that, that our faith in Christ should be evident from head to toe. And uh, that our faith isn't supposed to be passive, not something we check into and check out of, but something that is alive and growing in us. And so um, so as we read today, we're going to, going to come to a passage that, that can be hard to interpret a little bit. That can be hard, uh, as plain as it is, we might read this and say, well, well, what about grace? Because what this passage talks about is living a life of faith without practicing it. And what James is calling out is that you can't actually do that. So we're going to look at this passage today, and we're going to see that there's no gap between what we believe and what we do. James is going to close the gap between what we believe and what we do. So knowing that, let's go ahead and go to James 2, and we're going to read this together, starting in verse 17. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone said, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. The demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 
All right, so there it is. This is the word of the Lord. Yes. <laughs> um, this is a tough passage for us to come to and, and be like, okay, yes, yes, I hear that, but what about grace, right? What about grace? We look at this and we see James saying, our faith has to be connected to our works or it's dead. And the place where Christians get nervous is the area, little, little area called salvation, right? How am I saved? We should know that, right? And I think what feels threatening about this passage is this hard connection between what we believe and what we do. And James says there can be no difference. There can be no compartmentalization. If you are following Christ, you're following Christ with all of yourself, not just part of yourself. And so this is a tough passage because it does stretch our thinking on faith. It does stretch our thinking on grace. And it does challenge us to really, really know what it means to have a saving faith. And it really makes us look in the mirror, right? Sometimes the hardest question to ask ourselves is God, to ask, our, ask God is, God, am I doing the things that you want me to do? Am I living the life that you want me to live? Or are there things that I need to change? And so through this passage... I hope you don't hear condemnation, but I, hear, I hope what you hear is James inviting you to look at your own life. Because all of us have incongruence between what we believe and what we do. All of us do. All of us are in process to becoming more and more like Christ. And so what James does for us, young believers, old believers, and in the middle is he holds up a mirror and he says, are you living the life that God called you to live? Are you practicing what you preach? And as we've journeyed in James, he's already talked about the idea that we as humans are good at deceiving ourselves. He's talked about that we're really good about having blinders of, of pride and self-righteousness. Thinking of that even like the good things we do like are, are enough to save us. And I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to hold a mirror to other people than to our own lives. That's why we like people whose lives are a disaster on television, right? Because at least we can focus on how messy they are and not focus on us and our mess, right? We'd, there's something in us that would rather hold up a mirror to other people than really wrestle with what God wants out of our own lives. And yet, the only way that this world is going to change is if... All of us look at ourselves in the mirror. All of us deal seriously with the, with the sin in our lives, with the areas in our lives that aren't matching what we believe. So the point that James is making here is that we, we prove that we believe through what we do, that our actions speak to what we believe. Our actions speak to what we believe. You may have heard the term, like, practical atheism. Like, we may believe cognitively that there's a God or, or believe to a confession of faith, but then live like God's not there. And some people would call that practical atheism. Like, yes, on Sundays I believe this, but practically I kind of live like God's not there. And so what James is trying to do is show, no, if, if you really have faith, it would show up throughout the week. It would show up in your life. And so here's the point that I want to make as we get started today. A real faith in Christ translates into Christ-like action. If you believe in Jesus, 
you will start doing the things that he did. As simple as loving your neighbor. As simple as, as caring, having compassion for others. And that's where James starts. James doesn't start by saying, if you don't do miracles, you're not saved. <laughs> Praise God, right? No, he's like, if, if you just care for people like Jesus cared for people, that's evidence of true faith. So faith and action, they're always connected. They're always connected for James. And so he's saying that our faith has to translate into action or it's not real faith. So I wanna, I'm going to go into history. Sometimes I go into history, so if you don't like history, you can tune out. Some of you love history, which I found out, which is great. So if you love it, you'll love this maybe. Um, but in the middle of the, the 1600s, there was a guy named Philip Spainer who was a, in Germany. He's a young college student. Germany in, in the middle 1600s, it's about 100 years after the Protestant Reformation. Who's heard of the Protestant Reformation? So a lot changed in the church in 1517 um, with, with uh, basically a, a large transition from, uh, from Europe moving from the kind of the Catholic faith to um, being influenced by people like Martin Luther and John Calvin. And one of the big changes that happened in that is that all of a sudden the Bible was accessible to all people. Before that, the Bible was, you received the Bible through the priest, but you weren't really allowed to study it on your own. After this, the Bible becomes accessible to all people. It's happening about the same time as, as the printing press. So it's just Bibles are going everywhere. Translations are going everywhere. And all of a sudden, people are really wrestling. We have a, I would say, a theological explosion, right? Everybody's figuring God out. And in the middle of all of that, about 100 years later, the culture that you have is one that is emphasizes theology a lot, really, really high in what they believe with very little practice. It just isn't connecting to their daily life. Like one of the problems they had at that time was drunk pastors. A lot, a lot of drunk pastors at that time. Like it just did not connect. And so... Anyways, there's a 16-year-old college student. His name is Philip Spainer. He goes to the University of, of Strasbourg, and he gets a book called True Christianity. Or True, is it True Christianity? Yeah, True Christianity. And it inspires him to not just know stuff, but do stuff. And so he starts organizing small groups in his dorm room with people from all walks of life, inside and outside of the college. They start worshiping together praying together, they start caring for the poor, they start doing all these things, and all these college students around him that know stuff but aren't doing stuff are like, hey, those guys are holier than thou, and they call them the pietists. They're just a bunch of pietists. Like, they're just kind of trying to go above and beyond. And the name stuck in this whole movement called the pietist movement was born in Europe, and actually all of like our church and like our stream of churches have been influenced by this movement. It's where we had the whole idea for small groups. And this, this group sent out missionaries all over, um, all over the world. And so whether, you know, whether uh, you realize it or not, this issue is not just isolated to today. It w this was an issue of the church when it first started 
And 500 years ago and today, there's a disconnect between what we believe and what we do. And so James says this. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So he's saying just knowing the Bible is not enough. Having good theology is not, the, uh, not enough. It has to go beyond that because we've been given a purpose to fulfill. And we're going to talk today about how we're saved, not just from something. We're not just saved from hell. We're not just saved from darkness, from addiction. We're actually saved for something. We're saved for a purpose. We're saved for the mission of God. We're saved for, so we can be a representative of Jesus to the world. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that you're a representative of Jesus. And so if we don't fulfill our purpose, we're missing something in our faith. It's like if you owned a beautiful car, you know, whatever, I'm not going to name one because you know what you like and I don't. But if you just owned a beautiful car, but you never took it out of the garage, like that's, that's faith without actually putting it into practice. We were saved for a purpose and we're fully alive when we live into the purpose that God has for us. So the question becomes, what about grace? Does this passage, does it challenge grace? Because I thought we were saved by grace. We're Christians, right? Because if we say we're saved by works, that puts us in the boat with every other religion out there. Every other religion is trying to figure out, how do I get to God? If I do enough good things, if I mow enough lawns, if I bake enough cookies, can I get into heaven? And the message of the gospel is not that we reach up, but that God reaches down and grabs us. So then how do we connect what James is saying here with the gospel of grace and grace alone? This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's the counterpoint, point counterpoint, or what seems like a counterpoint. And the real question is, are James and Paul at odds? They're not. They're not at odds. It's not about faith or works. And Paul makes it really clear. Let's start with, with this. Paul makes it really clear that we are saved by grace and grace alone, that it's through the free gift of God. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your heart and be believe, um, if, if you can confess, sorry, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. That's, that's the message of Romans. And so Paul makes it really clear that this salvation that we get, this saving faith, is a free gift given to us by God. When we say, Jesus, I believe in you, I believe you died for me, I believe you rose again, I believe that I have new life in you, both now and forever, you are saved. You're saved at the moment you choose to believe, and we celebrate that and affirm that in baptism. Right? We celebrate that as a community at, in the moment of baptism. And so Paul says salvation is a gift, it's not from works. The reason he says it's not from works is so no one can boast. 
No one can boast. No one can say, I'm more saved than another person because I do more good things, right? We're not, we're not keeping tallies. There's no quotas. We get to serve and love from a place of freedom. Our salvation is not dependent on what we do. If, our, if we try to earn our salvation, basically what the Bible sets up, us trying to set up or, or save ourselves, it would be like if you tried to raise enough money to build a skyscraper in downtown Seattle with a lemonade stand, right? It just doesn't work. It's not enough. You wouldn't raise enough. You might be able to raise enough to, to go to summer camp if you worked all summer, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but it's not enough. And we, don't, we, can't, we can't do enough. We can't bake enough cookies. We can't mow enough lawns. We can't do enough good things to earn our way uh, to God. The gap is simply too big. God is just on a different level. He's on a different level than us. But the good news is that God loves you and that Jesus did make a way and that God loves you so much that he made a way through Jesus surrendering his life to cover your sin, to, to rise again, to invite you into new life. That's all a gift. Jesus is a gift. So then if we know that, then why is James connecting saving faith to works, or maybe the better question is how? How is it connected? He says, James says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So he says that faith without works, or faith that is not evidenced by a life change is dead. I don't think Paul and James are at odds here. Because James says faith without works is, is dead. Paul says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he's saying, we got a purpose. You're saved from something for something, and they go together. You can't, you can't divide that. You can't just be saved from something you have to be saved for something as well. So we're saved by the kindness of Christ so that we can learn to walk in his ways, so that we can learn to follow him, so that we can learn step by step to become more like Jesus. And there's grace along the way for that. But we got to be moving in that direction. We got to be on that journey with Christ. One easy way to think about that is when you believe in Jesus, you are believing in Jesus as your Savior, and you're also believing in Jesus as your Lord. Jesus is your Savior, but he's also your Lord. Outside of the Bible, we don't really use the word Lord very much, unless we're in an old english theme party, right, or something like that. Um, Lord is th this old English term that means royal or ruler. You would be a vassal, and you would serve a lord. He'd be like lord of the serfdom or whatever. I don't know. Um, but basically to call Jesus lord is to say, you're my king. It's deeper than a boss, right? It's deeper than a boss. He's your king. So your provision and your protection comes through your king. But also you are called to be about the king's business, right? The king sets the agenda and you follow it. You follow it. So we take our, our broken lives to Christ. We take our brokenness to Christ, and he redeems us and restores us and teaches us how to walk with him as our king, as our Lord. 
to teach us and to lead us. And what James is saying is, you don't get to go halfway. Jesus is not just Savior, he's also Lord. So you can't love Jesus and not care about the people that he cares about. You can't love Jesus and not love the church that he died for. Jesus connects our love for him with love for others every time. God always connects our love for him with love for others. And James is doing the same thing here. Even if you go back to the the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then Jesus follows it up immediately. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two. He says, upon this rests the whole law. Like, if you just want to reduce what I'm calling you to do to two things, it's those two things. Love me with all your heart, and let that flow out to others. So when you follow him, he will call you to love and serve people inside the church and outside the church. He will call you to love people. And James uses this terminology of like, don't just say, be warm and be fed. And we use this sometimes as like a joke, almost. Be warm and be fed. But it, it's, uh, this was actually a phrase used by sort of religious people back then to kind of dismiss people. Like, I'm too busy. I don't want to enter into this. I just want to keep going, keep about my business. This was, this was kind of dismissive language. And, and James is saying, don't be dismissive of people. And don't be dismissive of their needs. They're, they're people that Jesus loves. And this word can be a challenge today. Because if we look at it at face value, are we, at, are we saying, oh man, is God calling me to care for every need I see all the time? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think we can survive and do that. I think what we need is discernment to know when and who to help. Right? I think we need discernment to know when and who to help. If you want to get really real about today, there are ways where we think we can help people that might not be helpful. Like if you have a friend who's in a serious addiction, it may not be the best idea to give them a bunch of money. That may not help them, right? So we need to be wise, and I don't think James is saying check your brain at the door when you serve people. But I do think that God is always going to call us to love and care for people that that will push us outside of our comfort zone. To show compassion for people that's beyond our own ability to help. And we need to be tuned in to God, to the Holy Spirit, to, to, to be able to stop in the middle of our busy day and love and serve and be there. If we're too busy, we're missing opportunities to love and serve and to live into the purpose that God has called us to, to be. And we've, this is a struggle, right? There's always been times where it's like, I think I could help, but we kind of restrain ourselves, or we, we don't want to, you know, there's always that fear of like, oh, what if this takes forever? You know, <laughs> it's like, like, there's always that fear. But there's a lot of beauty in, in when we stop sometimes. Bonnie and I were driving around Seattle one time. We were at, leaving the children's hospital, and Bonnie saw a, a young lady who was in distress just walking along a bridge. And she said, hey, stop the car. I just feel like I need to walk with this person. So she got out, and she just walked with the person, talked for a while, all the way down, uh, you know, the, down the street. And we don't know 
outside of just encouraging that person, all we know is that Bonnie felt like I should stop and talk to this person and just, just share some encouragement. It may be that we're just called to stop sometimes. We're just called to make space. We're an ambassador of Christ. So what I'm calling you to do is not to empty your bank account today. What I'm calling you to do is to help where you can with what you can. Help where you can with what you can as God leads. So for me, my example, my own life, I feel really called to this town. I feel really called to love people in this town, my neighbors. This is where I feel like God's called me to expend time and energy. And I trust that God's got people in other towns and other cities, right? That's not all on me. That I'm, I'm not going to, like, expend all of my energy. Like, Ferndale's got to learn to fend for itself, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, I'm just joking. Um, but we need to be a blessing where we live, right? Be real intentional about it. Be real intentional. Ask God, God, who have you called me to? Who should I be serving? Who should I be loving? I think what God would call us to surrender, though, is our, our mentality of scarcity. I don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I can't do it. Because you know who never runs out? God never runs out. The power of the Holy Spirit never runs out, and God's ability to save never runs dry. So if we say, man, if I, if I, you know, if I give this away, what am I going to do? Like, God will always provide. And not only that, like, we have way more to offer than just money or food or whatever. We have way more to offer and I want to bring us into a story that might help ground us in this. In the book of Acts, you may have heard this one before. There's two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, and they run into a lame man who's begging on the street. And what I want you to see in this is that if God is with you, you have far more to give than what you think you have. So this is Acts 3, verse 3. It says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. This is the beggar. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Every follower of Christ has the power of God at work in them. So sometimes the best thing you can offer is prayer. The best thing you can offer is your attention. The best thing you can offer is something that God spoke to you. And yes, God may call you to pray for someone's healing. And yes, that might freak you out. <laughs> but if God calls you to it, don't be afraid. Because you know what I can't do, and I know of my own power, I can't heal someone's addiction, I can't heal someone's disease, I can't help somebody get out of trouble, but God can. God can. God has the power. And if you have placed your life under the authority of Christ, you get to extend that authority out to the world. 
Like, think about the authority that Peter is walking in right here. He says, look at me. You know, and I'm not Peter. I'm not pretending to be Peter. But he, he speaks with such authority. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. I don't think there was much doubt in Peter at that point, right? And it happened. So we can learn to walk in confidence with what God has given us. And this is a journey. I'm not asking you to go out tomorrow and pray for all the sick people. But maybe if, if somebody's got a headache tomorrow, why don't you try praying for their healing? Why don't you, why don't you just put, put your hand on their head and just pray in the name of Jesus for them? Because this is what I know. We are not called to burn ourselves out doing a bunch of good things. We, in, our, in and of ourselves, because we will run out of stamina, we will run out of money, we will run out of patience. I worked in nonprofit for two and a half years. I know a lot of burnt-out social workers. A lot of people get into social work because they want to help people, but then they reach the end of themselves, right? It's, it's tough. And I, I experienced some of that myself. Like, we should not try to help outside of the Spirit of God, right? That's why we need this connection with God. We need, to, we, we need to keep pursuing God so that we have not only the compassion uh, and, and the, uh, the, the stamina to, uh, to care for others. God doesn't want you to live on an island. God wants you to be connected to him so that you can just be his representative, so that you can, you can love people with, with grace and passion. And, and pray for things like healing or for them to find jobs or whatever it is. And you might be like, hey, that's me right now. Like, I need help. Well, you've got a church here that wants to pray for you. So we want to we we, we know that so we can pray for you. If you're, if you're in a place where it's like, man, I, I need prayer. I need, I need help. So if we really have faith, we have the power of God in us. We're even going to sing a song here at the end about how how in the, there's power in the name of Jesus, how he breaks every chain. Like, we need to believe that as a church. Like, there is power. It seems hopeless in the world. You might take a walk somewhere, some city somewhere, and just feel hopeless. No, there's power in Jesus' name. So what the early church did is they prayed for boldness. You know, they're like, man, just give me boldness. And I'm, kind of, I'm kind of afraid to enter into the fight here. <laughs> but, like, just, just give me boldness. And, you know, it does, seem, it does seem tough out there, right? We, we look at what's going on with, with, with some of the, the drugs that are out there and, and some of these problems, and they seem huge and hopeless, but, but, man, God is never out of control. It's never beyond his control. So as the world spins out of control and runs out of solutions, the only solution that I see is a church confident enough to walk in the power of God and to pray for people who are hurt and to stop and to enter in. So here's kind of my closing point as we kind of wrap up this morning, as we sort of make sense of what James is saying, which left by itself, it seems, it seems pretty daunting, but I think this is what he's getting at. A complete faith in Christ involves our entire self. It flows from our heads to our hearts and out from our hands, feet, and mouth. I want to make this very visual right? Our, our faith involves all of us, what we say, what we do, how we help with our hands, how, how we love with our hearts, and yes, what we, what we learn in our minds. 
God wants to use all of it. Heart, soul, mind, and strength is another way to think about it. What James is saying is it can't just stay here. It can't just stay locked away here. Your faith has to extend through your whole body. It's, it involves all of you. It involves your whole being. Your, your spirituality must be connected to your entire life. When you go into work, the Spirit of God goes with you. You might not go in preaching, but you go in with the love of Jesus. You go in with the compassion to see your coworkers as, as uh, it, however difficult they may be, as people that God loves. Now, James, I mean, James doesn't mince words. He says, if there's a disconnect, if it stays there, it's dangerous territory. James says, you foolish person. Now, I want to say the translation here it means empty, and I don't know why they translated it foolish, but, but it's this Greek word kenos, which means like, it says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he gives this example. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. So, what did Abraham do? God told Abraham one day to take his son up a hill and sacrifice him on the altar. It's actually this amazing image of what God would do one day with Jesus. And it's all the way back in the book of Genesis. And Abraham, without question, went through the steps. And he got to the point of almost killing his son when God stopped him. When God stopped him there. But it was that obedience that validated his faith. And that's the connection here. We have faith, and it's proven through our obedience. We have faith, and it results in obedience. And that does not mean you have to be perfect today. But that means you have to be on a journey towards obedience. Right? That your faith is pushing you to follow Christ with more and more of yourself. To obey in areas that are difficult. To instead of saying, forget, forget that God, I, you cannot have that part of my life. Being willing to open your hands to him more and more. So, because the warning is, if our, if our faith remains in our heads and we don't let it go through our whole body, we become shallow. And I'll tell you this as a pastor, I want to pass, I would rather pastor a church of a hundred people whose faith is connected with their head, through their heart, through their hands, than a church where faith just lives up here and people show up Sunday, right? Like, I want holistic faith. And so if you're here, know that that's what we're committed to. We're committed not just to make sure that you believe rightly, but that you are growing in your faith. Uh, we, we are that kind of church, so, so if you're here for a while, there might be some challenge, but it's all for your good so that your faith might grow and not diminish and not sink back. I think sometimes we have this lie that our faith can plateau. We can just plateau in our faith and kind of just stay here, but no, God's always going to challenge us to grow. We're, every day is a chance to grow as we continue to obey because Jesus wants your whole life, and he wants to teach you and guide you and shape you, and not on your own, like he gave you a family to help you grow in that, 
And I'm excited that we get to do that, and I'm excited for opportunities when we get to gather and get serious about what God's called us to do. So what James 2 does, it's like, a, it's like cold water in the face. It wakes us up. It's like, man, I've got to get on the right, right direction. Or if, I, if I've fallen away, man, it's, it's, time to get, it's time to get back on this path towards obedience. So let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the, the high challenge of James 2. I thank you, God, that you've called us, Lord, not just to believe something, but to be something. Lord, that in, in believing, you give us the power to, to become more and more like Jesus, to walk more and more like him, to love people like he loved people. God, this is not love that we create in and of ourselves. It, it's love that comes through you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn obedience and not feel overwhelmed, but just ask, what's the next step? What is the next step in my journey? What do I need to do? What are you calling me to do right now? Because of Jesus, we don't have to bear the weight of the world on our shoulders. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to lean into the grace that you provide so that we can live more and more like you. And, Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't we stand? We're going to close in, in worship this morning.